Well, good morning. Appreciate you coming this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. We want you to know that we have meetings like this every once in a while. Just try to encourage visitors to come and uh, and uh, think about what we're doing. We're just people trying to be God's people, trying to go by the book and do what the Bible says and do things in Bible ways and not worry about being politically correct because we believe the political world is way out of shape. And so we're trying to be religiously correct and do what God has to say. And so if you are interested in that, we believe you'll have great interest by being here. And if you're not interested in that, it's chances are I'm, I'm going to upset you before I get done. But we, we want to open up our Bible this morning to First Peter, the first chapter. We're going to look at some of the chapters in First Peter. And in this book, which was probably written somewhere around 63, 64, written by the Apostle Peter, who is a man we might call a man of a second chance, because you know that Peter really embarrassed himself greatly and let the Lord down when he denied the Lord on three occasions and even cursed and swore that he even knew him. And yet the Lord, when he was resurrected, if you notice when you begin to read the account, that the Lord wanted to see Peter. And he wanted people to know, I want to see Peter. Because he knew that Peter was brokenhearted. He, Peter had made some terrible mistakes. And Peter went out and wept bitterly after he had done what he did. When the Lord looked at him after he denied him on the third time. And so now we're seeing an older Peter. A man who is getting closer now to his ending of the road. And he's writing to people when there's just about, if Rome was burned in somewhere around 64, 63. And Nero's persecution began. And so Christians began to be charged with the destruction of Rome. And so they began to be began to be a, a more of a wider spread, first of all, driven from Rome. We know they were driven from Jerusalem in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. And so these people who are Christians are being scattered now and being spread out. They were in a huddle for a period of time in Jerusalem. And now in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we see them being spread. And now here in the book of Peter, Peter's talking about those who are the dispersal, uh, the, the scattered, those who are, are pilgrims and strangers who are scattered abroad. And so these people were no longer in the huddle and so what does that do to you when you're a group of people who have become Christians and you're trying to understand Christianity, what God is doing, and now these people are living in the western part of Asia Minor, and really if you look at what the book of Revelation shows, those seven churches are in that region, over in that part of the world, that seemed like something was going to start boiling in that part of the world that took place, that would just scatter into all the rest of the world. And so these Christians needed to know, and Peter was trying to get them braced for the fact that, listen, you better put your seatbelt on and you better get your faith to growing and you better keep thinking about where you're going because the road is going to get long and hard. And you're going to have challenges. And these challenges are here for a purpose because they're going to, they're going to try your faith and test your faith. And so what you want to do is make sure you've got your faith at its strongest level. <clears throat> I told people about, I, I trained some firemen in Madison, Indiana years ago to, had to repel off of these cliffs and I, I was showing these men, training them how you put this carabine on. You put the rope in their shape of six, slide in the carabine, and then you can jump off the cliff and you're ready to go. But I said, if you do any of those things wrong, when you jump off the edge of the cliff, you're going to fall to the bottom. You've got to make sure you get it right. And when you get it right, then you're ready to go. And I tell you, faith is that way. Faith in Hebrews 11 verse 6 is that uh, faith is what undergirds. It stands under uh, Faith is, is the substance of things hoped for. So if I'm looking for heaven, I've got to stand on something right now that undergirds that hope, and that is my faith. And so I want my faith to be right. I want it to be strong. I told those men when I was trying, I said, y'all, what if I tell you I'm going to give you a piece of yarn, let you put that yarn in that caravan, and jump off the edge of a cliff with a piece of yarn? Y'all want to try that? Well, no, nobody wanted to volunteer. They said, we want the strongest rope we can get. 
Well, your faith is the link, the rope that holds you to hope in heaven. And so you want to have it as strong as you can make it. And so every day, you might not realize it, when you read your Bible in the morning, you get up and you pray. You go to work, you try to live right or go to school, wherever you go, and you try to do what is right. What you're doing every day is you are strengthening and developing your faith. You may not think it's being very effective. But, you know, your faith is kind of like somebody said, <clears throat> these fellows that play uh, in the uh, Super Bowl uh, once a year. How did those men get there? They didn't just get up one morning and say, hey, the Super Bowl today, I'm going to go over there and play in the Super Bowl. They worked every day. They learned the plays. They developed themselves. They set themselves in condition. They ate certain foods and exercised so that they would be ready for the day of trial. And what we sometimes don't do is we don't realize there's a day of trial. And sometimes we don't know what it is. I'm amazed how many things I faced in my life I wouldn't have dreamed I would have had to face in my lifetime. And so I don't know what else. I tell you what, I know more about what's going to happen to me when I die than I do while I'm living. I know what's going to happen when I die. I'm certain of that. But while I'm living, I don't know what I'm going to experience. I don't know what you're experiencing. But Peter's helping us to see if we can learn the purpose of God and see what God is doing. It will help us as we live in this world where we feel like we're misfits. And we feel like, if I'm going to heaven, why is it I'm having such a hard time? And there's so many pains and so many problems and struggles. Why is it that way? Peter's going to help us to see why it's that way. He's going to give us some reasons for why it's that way. And so if we can understand what we're doing and why it's the way it is, and so when you go through it, get up in the morning expect somebody's going to probably give me some trouble today. I'm going to have some problems to face somehow. And so everything I've got to do is just keep putting my confidence in the Lord and let the Lord have it and go on and just keep on marching. And keep on going because I am on a long journey here. I'm not on a sprint. I'm, I'm going on this journey. I'm suffering to glory. That's what Peter's going to tell us. I think some 16 or 17 times he used the word suffering and about 15 or 13 or 14 times the word glory. And he shows that those two go together. You can't get to heaven unless you go through this world. And you've got to go through this world where the world sees you as a misfit. Because you're trying, as much as is possible, to be like your father. You're trying to be holy. And in the process of doing that, that means that you, you have become a round peg trying to fit into a square hole in the world, and you don't fit. And you know why you don't fit? It's the same reason. Hey, yesterday we were out riding four-wheelers, and you think, what would an old man like you be? Well, I was going real slow, I'll tell you that. But I was riding a four-wheeler, and I was riding behind people, and I kept getting all this hay seed and grass and dust in my eyes. I had my glasses on, and stuff kept getting in my eyes. And you know what's amazing about that? Foreign objects in your eye, you want to get them out. You want to get rid of them. If you've ever got a splinter in your finger, it doesn't belong there. It's, in a, it's a foreign body in your body. You want to dig it. You get cancer in you, you want to get it out. And the world says we're a cancer. We're a thorn in their eye. We're a splinter in their skin. And so they, we make them terribly uncomfortable. And so Peter's telling us, this is what we need to know. Now, how do we get to be this way? Listen to what Peter says. In 1 Peter 1, in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> to the strangers, here people are foreigners, uh, and, and scattered throughout Pontius, Glacia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Britannia. And so here now, the apostle Peter, now why is that important to know? Because when you understand the apostles were the ambassadors of Jesus. They were the special representatives. Jesus had chose these men and he would, he promised to give them the Holy Spirit that would inspire them to tell people what, what the Father's word was, what Jesus came to the world to tell the world what his Father's will was. 
And then for them to know what Jesus and His Father's was, the Holy Spirit would inspire them. Now, I'm not inspired. So you keep looking at your Bible while I'm talking, because I may mess it up. And if I do, you tell me. But you see, I'm not an inspired person. I have got to, I get mine by inspiration. I, I mean by perspiration. I have to spend hours of studying and reading and thinking and rethinking to see if I've got it. But these men were inspired apostles. When they spoke, they were told not to premeditate. You know what I did this morning coming over here from out? I was out in Stop, Kentucky last night. I was camped out a couple of days. <clears throat> While my son drove me over here, I was opening my Bible. I was sweating. And I was studying, trying to get this stuff into my head. Because as I'm getting older, my mind's slipping. And I get more afraid every year when I hold meetings. I'm scared to death. Because I'm getting older and I don't remember what I should know. And so I was trying to poke this stuff back in my head that I'd let slip from me, you see. And so trying to make sure I could talk to you about it. But you see, the apostles were told not to do that. Because the Spirit would tell them directly from heaven what they should say and what they should teach. And so that's what makes them different from us today. But you see, they didn't have a New Testament when they were doing that. Now, we've got everything they were told, everything they need to know right here in this book. And so we can open it up, we can read it and study it, and we can know what God wants us to do today. But the apostles are the ones who have put this into our hands, and the prophets of the first century, so we can do that. So Peter said, listen, I'm talking about one of the people who has been authorized by Jesus to tell you what you need to know. And so he's an apostle Writing to these people who are strangers. Have you ever been a stranger somewhere? I'm a stranger this morning. I, we came in here and turned. I, I, this place has changed since I've been here many years ago. It seemed like there were all these houses between here and there. I don't remember all that. I'm sure it must have been there. But I turned in here. I thought, this must be the wrong street to turn on. This looks different in here. And so things have changed. I've changed. Some people have seen me. They didn't recognize me anymore. You know, They haven't seen me for a while. But you see, we're living in a world where we're strangers and when you're, you go to, if you've ever been to a foreign country, I go to foreign countries, they speak a different language, they have different money, and I expect to be mistreated. I, I, I tell people all the time, I've been in car wrecks, I've been arrested in other countries, just because I was a foreigner, you know, and, and been mistreated. I, I've told about one time being in India, uh, and we were coming into the intersection, we are going real slow in this motor scooter, here comes a man flying along with a scooter, and hits the side of us and knocks us over, and he flies over us and lands in the street, and there was a policeman standing right on the corner, saw the whole thing. He came over there, and I was laying in the street, and he said, are you okay? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I guess you know it's your fault. I said, yeah, I knew it was my fault. You see, I'm a stranger. I'm a foreigner. I don't have any rights. And so I got up and said to the policeman, I said, sir, would you mind if we looked at the evidence before I have to pay the penalty for whatever i got to pay to, to get out of this trouble? He said, what's that? I said, that man came in the intersection. I said, look, he slid about 18 feet. He was driving crazy. He was a nut. I said, look at... We, where we stopped, we didn't even make a black spot. We didn't even, we slid sideways when he hit us. And I said, he hit us, we didn't hit him. And he said, well, what, what do you want me to think about it? I said, I want you to see that we're innocent. He said, no, you're guilty because you're not a citizen here. See, I was a foreigner, a stranger. You should expect, if you're living in a foreign world and living among people who may not value you, you're going to be mistreated. Don't, don't be shocked. Don't, well, why do we get, you know what people said to me? You know how people treat You know what some member of the church didn't shake my hand? Are you crazy? Don't you know you're a foreigner living in a foreign land? And that everything that's going to happen to you is going to probably turn you upside down because the world's upside down and you're the only one standing upright? And so don't, don't be shocked. Peter's going to help us to see. So he says to us that these people who are scattered and strangers in these regions of the world, he calls them, notice how God views these people, he says, these are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The word elect means the chosen of God. 
I, I tell this story about the word elect several years ago. I, I go around and hold some meetings, and some of these young guys would come to me and say, Gary, I understand you get around and hold a lot of meetings. Said, yeah. They say, well, I'm looking for a wife, and I'd like to have a girl here from 18, they say 18 to 35 or something like that. And she said, I want her to be a Christian. And he said, and I won't tell you all the other things she said, but they, they, you know, a lot of them, they had these restrictions. And so what they did was they were putting out points that they already decided they wanted, and, and they wanted me to go look for a person who's that way. You know what God did? God said, let me tell you, everybody who will be in Christ Jesus... God decided before they began, before the world ever started, that I'm going to choose people who will be in Christ. And what it means to be in Christ is kind of like, I like to tell people, like being in the sun. If you want to get a suntan, you know how you get a suntan? You don't just say, well, skin turned brown. You have to bathe in the sun. You have to get out of it, the sun shine on you, and you will change your color. You will become different in, in what your appearance is and your nature because the, the sun is good for you. And so... Basking in the sun is what makes you have a suntan. And basking and living and doing what Jesus said, it will have an effect on who you are, how you act, and how you do everything you do. And so God said, everybody who wants to bathe in the sunlight of Jesus and to take His glory and His character and be like Him, I'll save every one of you. You just got to choose to do it. And so Peter says, these are the elect of God. And he says these people, the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, God decided before the world began, he says, uh, God the Father. Now notice through the sprinkling, uh, I'm sorry, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be unto you. And notice he says here that what these people have done is they have become God's people through the sanctification of the Spirit. So how does the Spirit work today when you read this book? Did you notice that Einstein had read this book? And Einstein said, you know, I know when I read the Bible that Jesus, he said, I'm a Jew. But he said, when I read the New Testament, I know that Jesus, he, he, he is an inspirational person. And what he says has great meaning and significance. He said, I know. He said, I just feel confident that he had to have been from God. And he said, when I read that, I can just sense and see the character of Jesus. And I can feel how he's trying to pull on me. That's what Einstein saw about when he read the New Testament. He had some of those ideas about a real smart man, but he, he never really seemed to give completely into that. But he was somebody who saw that, understood that. And so the way it works today is you, you just read your Bible every day. You might think, oh, how is that going to affect me? Let me tell you, it will do it because God designed it that way. And if you make your mind up every day, I'm going to, I'm going to strengthen my faith. I'm going to be sanctified, set apart, consecrated and dedicated through the Spirit by the sprinkling of the blood. Now, what's that a picture of? Deuteronomy 24, Exodus 24, where you see there when God made the covenant in the Old Testament, He took every, all the instruments of, of the worship, the tabernacle, the priesthood, the book. He took animal blood and He sprinkled blood on the book. He sprinkled blood on the people. He sprinkled blood on the priesthood, on the instruments of the tabernacle and the worship and the altar. He sprinkled blood on everything. Everything blood dripped on was consecrated and dedicated and holy to God. And when somebody wanted to change even the fire, Fire come out of heaven and burn them up because God said, listen, I'm holy and I want you to be holy. And so what we see is the sprinkling of blood, everything we do today in here, if we're going to take the Lord's Supper, why don't we do this on Saturday? Because there's no blood on Saturday. There's blood on the first day of the week. There's blood on the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread. Why do we just sing and not play an instrument? There's blood on strumming your heart, swallowing your heart when you sing, not playing an instrument. There's no blood on instruments. The mechanical instruments in the New Testament. Everything we do, the way the church is organized, uh, elders and, and deacons, 
and the, and the work of the local church and the way the money is gathered, the way the money is spent, sprinkling the blood. When somebody's sins are forgiven, how does God sprinkle blood on them? They go in the water grave of baptism because blood is sprinkled on every word in the book, you see. So how are we consecrated and dedicated to God? By the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. And he says that through that, that we have grace and peace be multiplied. And so God multiplies his grace and peace to us because we have been set apart, consecrated through the Spirit, through the sprinkling of blood, by every word the Spirit has inspired. That's how this happens, you see. And then Peter tells us something else about that. In verse 3 he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And notice Peter says, let me tell you something about what you have done. If you are God's elect, and you're what we're talking about, one of those people in Christ, what God has done, He has given you a living hope. I, I tell folks, <clears throat> I used to, for years, uh, I had hair for many years, and I got a disease called alopecia areata. And all my hair fell out in a matter of about two months. All, all my body hair fell out completely. And so, but I always had carried a comb in my pocket because I had thick hair before that. And so I, I, after my hair, I, I don't know why, I just kept that comb in my pocket because my doctor told me, he said, well, listen, sometimes people's hair comes back. And so he said, uh, you know, your hair may come back. So I kept, well, I went in a restaurant with a friend of mine, put my bill flat to pay the bill. And my friend said, oh, what? what are you doing? You don't have a sprag of hair on your whole body and you're carrying a comb in your pocket. He said, what are you carrying that comb for? I said, listen, that's hope. <laughs> that's hope, old buddy. He said, what do you mean? I said, I have the desire to have hair. And I have the expectation that it might come back. But you see, you couldn't see it. That's what hope is. You can't see it. And so sometimes, because we can't see heaven, we can't touch it, we can't taste it, we let our hope get weak. And what we have got to do, people, we've got to have a living hope. It's alive. It's waiting for us. It's real. And so what He's done is begotten us. By the resurrection of Jesus under this living hope. Because Jesus was resurrected. And when we think about the fact that what that means is, <clears throat> where I am right now is not where I'm going. I'm going somewhere else. So the, Peter's helping us see, where are we going, good people? We're going somewhere. We're destined to go. I'm going to tell you, we're all going someplace. i tell you about my friend who went to an atheist funeral. And he said that atheist went there and that atheist funeral. He says the saddest thing. He ever seen? I said, "Why is that?" Well, there wasn't no people there. He said, "No, there were a lot of people." I said, well, "The one he kind of a preacher." He said, "No, there was a man who got up and said some things, said some nice things about my old friend." I said, well, "What was so sad?" He said, "There, my friend laid all dressed up in a coffin and nowhere to go. An atheist has nowhere to go, but he does. He's going to an eternal destiny, and so are we." And Peter said, let me tell you, out ahead of you is this living hope. And notice how he paints the picture for us so we can see it in verse 4. To an inheritance that is incorruptible, that is nothing can corrupt it, and it's undefiled, nothing's going to be able to defile it, and it fades not away, it's not going to tarnish in any way, and it's reserved for you in heaven. Now notice, here's something that we can't begin to conceive of, that it is never going to fade. There was a lady in Madison years ago named Dorothy and she always said to me, she said, I'm so afraid I have, after I've lived my life, and I've tried to be careful and do what God said, that I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to get up in heaven, and I'm going to be up there uh, around the angels and join And he, she said, I'm going to say something I shouldn't say, and a, 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 a cloud's going to open, and I'm going to fall out of heaven and lose everything that I work for. I said, Dorothy, don't worry. She said, why? 
I said, because heaven cannot be lost. It cannot be defiled. It cannot be robbed from you in any way. I said, the trouble is getting there. I said, you may mess up and not get there, but if you get there, don't you worry, because heaven is going to wear its brightness and its freshness every day, all day long. You're going to look at things in heaven, and somebody said, we sing the song, we've been there 10,000 years, you're not going to know it, because we're not going to be able to measure time, the sun's not going to go down. But if you were there 10,000 years, and you and you opened your eyes and looked over here, you're going to say, after 10,000 you're going, wow, whoa. And you're going to hear the angelic chorus breaking and everybody singing. And, and I don't know how God's going to keep you from crying. But you're going to say, whoa, listen to the myriad of angels singing. And you're going to look to the throne of God and see the sea of glass and these living beings around God and this green rainbow around and God sitting on the throne. And all the marvel, so much so that if you saw Him now, you would melt away like butter. Because you could not go in the presence of God. He is so holy and so different and so significant and so wonderful. It's like scooting you up next to the sun and letting you touch the sun. You couldn't do it. That's how. That's the God we're talking about. And you're going to be prepared in such a way so that you'll be able to go into the presence of God in a place where it can never be tarnished, never be corrupted, never be taken away from you in any kind of way. And then Peter says to us, <clears throat> not only do we need to look at where we're going in that sort of a way, a place that cannot, and notice it's reserved for you, not down on the earth for a thousand years. It's going to be reserved for you in heaven. That's what, that's what Peter said a long time ago, you see. Not something down here for a thousand years, but up there in heaven's where it is. That's where our hope is. And notice, so, so what we've got to do, we've got to keep our faith in this living hope. And you know, I, I tell people all the time about hope. I told this about my daddy years ago when we, we were fishing. Matter of fact, we were fishing on Cumberland Lake. And, uh, and my daddy and I had dropped anchor down. We were fishing. We fished through the night and uh, we didn't catch much. And so my dad decided we'd just give up. So he, he blew the lantern out and he was kind of a practical joker. And there was this big rock wall. It's probably back by the very back doors back there from us. And so we thought we were facing out away from that wall. So he blew the lantern out. And so he started the motor up in the dark. And he shoved the lever down in total darkness. He thought he'd scare me, you know. And so he shoved her down, and then he let her go, and he flipped the lights on, and we were about back to that back door, and all of a sudden, something amazing happened. We both went flying over the windshield of the boat, and landed in the water about five feet from that rock wall. And my daddy was a hot-headed man with a bad temper, and I thought, uh-oh, it's going to be bad now. Well, I heard my daddy snickering. He swam around over by the boat and turned the motor off. And I heard him snicker and said, Dad, what in the world? We just about killed ourselves. What are you laughing? We tore the windshield off the front of the boat. I said, what are you laughing about, Dad? He said, son, I'm sure glad you forgot to pull the anchor up. The anchor caught us, see. Is that what Hebrews 6 and verse 19 says? You know what the anchor for the soul is? When you're just about to crash, the old anchor grabs you and keeps you from destroying yourself. And you get over this way and you get, and you get close to something and then the anchor grabs you. And you're able to hold on. Because through the veil of death, they extends their anchor rope of hope. And it reaches through the veil onto the other side. So don't ever think. You might say, oh, I just, I don't think I can make it. You crazy thing. You crazy thing. God's got an anchor tied onto you. And He just keeps holding you back in there. He wants you to develop your faith. But notice something else we see here. Look at what He says next in verse, in verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith on the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. 
Now, how are we going to do this, good people? How are we going to make it? It seems like heaven is out of reach sometimes. I feel like I'm trying to climb a grease pole sometimes, trying to get to heaven. No! No! We're kept by the power. We're kept by the power of God. How? Through faith. I just keep saying, God, okay. I made a mess out of it. I'm sorry. I'm trusting you to help me and to save me. I'm trusting you to be gracious and merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And I need your help, oh God. And if I make it, it won't be because I did it all. You've got to do it. I'm just going to trust in you and try to bathe in the sunlight of Jesus. And so Peter says, we're kept. We're guarded. That's what that word. It means to have a sentinel. When I was in the military, I had to stand out on guard duty. One time I was out uh, on guard. I think it was just an old empty building. That's what they made soldiers do, you know. And so it was snowing, and I fell asleep. And I was, fell asleep, and I leaned up on a stump, fell asleep. And my weapon fell over in the snow. And I didn't know it, but a convoy. I was really tired. Uh, four or five trucks went by. And this lieutenant in a Jeep pulled up behind them and said, Private, what are you doing? And I woke up. I said, uh, yes, sir. Well, what, what? He said, what, are you on a sentinel duty? I said, yes, sir. He said, a convoy just went by, son. He said, if they'd been an enemy, they'd have destroyed us all. You've got to be awake and stay on guard. You've got to watch. You've got to stand at constant duty watching and protecting and guarding everything for our nation's sake. Let me tell you who's guarding our nation's sake. Who's guarding the church's sake. God is standing on duty. And by the power of God, we're kept. We're guarded. God is standing. When you go to sleep, God is standing guard. Don't you ever think God's not with you. He's watching over. He's preserving you because of this great hope. He's wanting you to trust Him because He were kept and guarded. So we see, first of all, we've got this anchor of hope out there. We've got heaven out there, the thing we're reaching forward to get to. And now He tells us we've got this help, that God is going to help us. Don't think you can do this by yourself. The Jewish people in the Old Testament kept getting into trouble trying to do it by themselves. You can't do it. You say, well, I just don't think I can make it happen. God bless you. You're exactly right. You figured it out. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. But you're not working by yourself. And so Peter says, we've got to put our faith in, in God because He's going to guard and watch over and keep us until the end time comes. And then he says in verse 6, <clears throat> Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season you're in heaviness, through manifold temptation. Now notice what Peter says now about it. He said, don't you see where you're going? Oh, that sounds so good. I, I want to go to heaven. That sounds good. But Peter, let me tell you where you are right now. So where am I right now? Where I'm going, I'm going to a wonderful place. But where I am right now, I'm in manifold, many-fold. Many-folds, that's a picture of... It, it's literally the word for multicolor. It means polka-dotted. So you're living in a world that's got all these polka-dots and all these colors and these folds of different types of trials. Different ty- I, I, I've always said when I was younger, I've had four addictions in my life. I've been addicted to drugs, pornography, alcohol, and tobacco. I've had all four of those addictions. And I can remember when I was younger, when I became a Christian, being afraid that I might commit adultery because of my, my desires were so strong. I was afraid I might commit adultery and lose my faith and lose my way. And so I've gotten older now, and, and I, I tell young people, some, uh, thank God as you get older, that, that will slow down. You'll get over that. So I'm not, I'm not struggling as much with that as I used to be as a young person. I'm struggling now with a desire to want to kill some people. I want to choke some church members sometime, you know. I want to get hold of somebody and just squeeze them until their head pops off. 
And so now I'm facing another temptation, you see. There's another, there's another polka dot that I didn't notice before. And when I was younger, I never thought about doing that to somebody. And so now, but you see, what you, what Peter's saying, let me tell you, I don't know what your polka dot is and what is your struggle, but let me tell you, we've all got them. And we, we've got these many folds. The devil just keeps folding these things over and testing and trying us. But notice Peter says, let me tell you what's happening while you're facing those trials. What's happening is the developing of your faith, the trying of your faith is coming through these trials. Now that word try is the word test. If I had a big rock, matter of fact, I've got some things I brought back from Africa. I was showing, I think, one to my son Matt the other day. I think it was him. And I said, Matt, that, that, I got that off the, uh, off the uh, gold Orange River in, uh, in Namibia. And, and that's where all the gold and diamonds are washing out into the ocean. And they had, you walk down the beach and there are signs on the beach that say, Do not bend over or you'll be shot. There are tars with men in them. And, there, and there's diamonds on the beach. You can walk on the beach, but you can't bend over and pick anything up. And so I, I, I walked away that beach, went down the other way, and I found this stone, and it's got glitters of gold in it. And I told Matt, I said, Matt, I'll save that stone for $5,000. He said, well, Dad, I think that's just some of that stone kind of washed on the outside and stuck to that stone. I don't think it's worth 10 cents, you know. And I said, well, but you know, if we took that rock and melted it down, put it in a furnace, and got it up to 15, 1,800 degrees where certain types of rocks, I don't know, you scientists know which temperatures are, different things melt down and crack and break, rocks break up and shatter at certain temperatures, and we melted that rock down, and we let the gold drip down to the bottom and go out to the bottom, we might find out, well, that thing's worth $5,000. But we don't know it yet, do we? How do we know the value of our faith? You've got to face it. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. You've got to go out in the world and you've got to face things. You've got to experience trials. Because trials are what make your faith stronger. If you endure the trial, now if you keep failing it, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to stay in third grade all my life. I kept failing the third grade and I thought I'm, I'm going to be a third grade school teacher by the time I'm 30 years old, you know. <laughs> but you know, when you come to realize you have to pass the test to become stronger. And that's the way life is. And the old devil's going to throw the trials at you. He's going to try to stop you. And God is going to test you and try you so you'll become stronger, just like the gold in the furnace. Uh, this, this ring here, my wife gave $18 for it uh, 47 years ago. And uh, if we melted it down and put the heat to it, I think we'd see a little piece of aluminum come out and it says, made, made Coca-Cola. On that, because this is not pure gold, see? It's not, it, it, but it, we can make it more valuable by melting it down. And so what we need to see is, Peter's telling us that's what's going on with us. So don't think, you say, well, why is God doing, why does God, why am I facing, you're facing it for a reason. This has a purpose to it. And if you know you're going somewhere and you've got to develop by going through the trial to get there, you say, well, come on trial. Let's get to the game. Let's get at it. Let's get to the conflict. Let's get to the battle. We're going to see this is a war against our soul. So let's get in the conflict. That's what will make me strong. When things go my way, you ever seen people have a child to give them everything they want? I went and stayed with some people one time during the meeting. They had a two-year-old boy, and they didn't tell him no to anything. I'd sit on the couch dressed ready to go to church. He'd come in there eating peanut butter and jelly and jumped up on me. <laughs> Climb all over me and get peanut butter and jelly. And they just said, oh, ain't that sweet? I said, oh, you don't know. <laughs> well, that boy ended up in prison. Spoiled children are never worth a dime. 
And neither are Christians. God doesn't want spoiled children. He wants us to grow up and to develop. And so he says to us in verse 8, Whom having not seen... Now you think about this. Here's this picture. Uh, well, I didn't read all of verse 7. Uh, that the trying of your faith be more precious than gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found on the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus. Now, when is when we, the significance of when this has all come to be seen about its value is when the Lord comes. You're not going to see that today. We're, we're developing our faith today, but when you see the real value of what you've done, when Jesus comes, you're going to say, boy, I had a, a grandpa and an uncle when they were dying, both of them, told me, Gary, invest everything you got in the kingdom, because when you do, you'll be glad. When you get where we are, you'll be glad you did that. Don't, don't let your life get tangled up in things and chasing after the wrong things. You study your Bible, know your Bible. Uh, my, my grandpa uh, urged me as a, when I obeyed the gospel. He said, don't, don't try to be a priest. He said, Gary, you're not very smart. Don't get very far. He knew me. He's not good for him. He said, you make up your mind to be an elder of the church. The church is starving to death for leadership. You work to be an elder. So I went to work as a young Christian. I figured, what that should be. I never dreamed I'd, I'd become a preacher as a result of that. I was memorizing the Bible to be an elder, you know. I was learning my Bible to be a teacher so I could be an elder of the church. And I, and I tell people... I'm, I'm preaching, but I never really decided to be a preacher. I'm just preaching more all the time, but I'm still, I decided I was going to be an elder, but I was going to be. And so here's a picture of people who understand, as you go along in life, do what you're doing, you just keep thinking, there's a goal for me, a purpose for me, and I'm going to get after that purpose and go, and the Lord's going to come again, and that's when it's going to matter. And so he says then in verse 8, whom having not seen, you love, and whom though you see him, uh, you see him not, you believe, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So here's a picture now of what Peter's telling us about our hope. Our hope is saying, God is out there and I can't see God right now. I can't see Him right now. But He's just down the way. And He's not that far from me, Acts 17 says. He's not very far from all of us. But we cannot see Him. You know, we, we sometimes just have trouble trusting. But you know, faith, that's the way faith works. <clears throat> have you ever seen somebody watch a ball game? Or listen to it on the radio. I don't know how many do that anymore. It used to be we listen to ball games on the radio all the time. And a guy would say, okay, Kentucky just shot the ball and won the game. And we would sit in the radio. All right. We'd jump up and down and scream. Oh, we won. You know what? We didn't see it. We didn't see it. Why did we believe it? Why did we get excited? An eyewitness told us. Or maybe we didn't hear the program and the newspaper comes on the porch the next day. We open up, Kentucky won the game. Oh, right, we won the game. We didn't see it. Why did we believe it? An eyewitness was there and wrote it. And that settled the issue. Here's an eyewitness saying, let me tell you. Put your faith in, I, I was there. You listened to me. I saw it. And then he says to us in verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul, of which salvation the prophets had inquired, searching diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ within them did signify, when he testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. So you see what Peter's saying? The prophets of old. You know what they did? They got their Bible and they were searching in the Old Testament, trying to figure out what God was doing. They couldn't see. They couldn't understand it. And so they're trying to figure out what God was doing. And they got these little pieces of sunlight helping them see God was bringing a Savior to the world. And they were longing for it. And then notice verse, four, verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed, not unto them but on, uh, themselves, but unto us, who did minister 
the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, which the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things angels desired to look into. Now notice, Peter said, do you know what angels were doing in the Old Testament? God was up there in the heavens. These angels were around. And God said, let there be light. And all of a sudden, the universe lit up without a planet anywhere. And then God began to make the world. And the angels were looking around God's shoulder. And they were saying to one another, what is he doing? What's God doing down there? He didn't tell the angels. You mean the angelic beings in his presence who were made to glorify, honor, and serve, and to be ministers to us? God didn't tell them. No, he didn't tell them. But who did God tell them? He's told it unto us. How important do you feel knowing God kept something secret throughout the Old Testament so you could be the ones who would live in the time we would know what angels did not know until God revealed it to man. Isn't that something? Well, that's where we're going to start in this meeting. Looking at how we ought to set our mind on where we're going. And don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated. Don't give up on your brethren. We're going to see what our value of the church should be. We're going to look at that some in these meetings. How should I feel about the church? All these things that Peter's going to talk about will help us to build our faith. So our hope will be strong. So heaven will be our home. Does anybody have any... we got about two minutes. Anybody have any corrections, first of all? Anybody have any comments at all? I sure didn't say it all. Well, thank you so much. We'll take a break. Thank you.